0: And welcome to episode three of the Developing Strategy podcast. If you haven't already listened to episodes one and two, do please listen to them because we reference back to them. But in episode one, we laid out our framework of six questions. And on our last episode on segmentation, we discussed issues around the external environment, point one. Today, we're going to focus on that as well. Um, but
1: why don't I hand over to you, Dad, um, to explain yeah. a
0: bit more about what the, the topic today is.
1: Yeah, so so what we did last week was we looked at segmentation, which is what I suggest you start with. So you start by looking at the external environment and you segment it so that you you can box it up into chunks that you can then analyse in more detail. So, for example, perhaps we might decide that we want to segment the car rental market by country so that we can look at France versus the UK versus perhaps the Middle East, if we treat that as one country. Um, So we get a category, which is country, and then we get the specific examples of what we're interested in looking at within that, and we've created our segments. But now the question is, how do you analyse how attractive each of those segments are? And we haven't talked about that yet. And that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to cheat a bit, because that actually requires thinking about both the external environment within France and your current position, your internal situation and how that helps you to get into France and maybe a little bit about how things evolve. So I'm going to slightly cheat and we're going to talk today about a particular tool and technique that helps you think about those three questions, the external environment, the internal situation and how things are going to evolve um, together quickly so you'll get hopefully some really interesting quick study tools out of today and then we're going to go back and be a bit more careful and methodical over subsequent podcasts and it'll all come together and hopefully by the end of this podcast I'll have sold you that what I'm going to talk about today is a really easy practical simple way to get an overarching evaluation of for example do I like France more than the UK Mm.
0: okay sounds useful so we will be spanning those kind of different steps of the process a yeah. bit, but hopefully the the structure of today will be relatively simple. Yeah. So why don't you talk a bit about what we're gonna we're gonna do?
1: Yeah, okay. So, um, well, what I wanted to do is introduce it by going back to an example that we talked about in the last podcast. Um, we talked about the example of the Hunger Games, which is a movie in which uh, Katniss Everdeen, who's the heroine, has to battle twenty three other uh, teenagers. Um, to the death and only one of them will survive and um, Katniss who's our heroine is a good archer and we talked about how she gets to see these sort of vast range of options of, of things she can run and grab but everybody else is going to be running and grabbing them and how actually she effectively takes that complexity of hundreds of things and segments it down so that she can view that complexity in a way that helps her make choices and in particular as you as you said last time she'd probably want to think about archery things as one segment is there anything there which i can put in the archery segment and then another segment is sort of other stuff near to me that's safe to get Um, and Indeed, she looks out at the actual scene and she sees there's a bow and an arrow, and it's, but it's a bit of a far way away and is in the middle of a whole bunch of weapons that probably everyone's going to want to run to get, like spears and knives and so on. And then there are a bunch of packages near her. So she's got to make a decision within actually 30 seconds. What am I going to do? And here are my two options. Um, how will she think about that? Charlie, you're the strategist. OK, OK. Um. Well,
0: I, I suppose she thinks of it on a couple of dimensions. So, first okay. of all, in terms of just how how things relate to her skill set. So, um, for instance, the bow and arrow is just inherently attractive to her because she's yeah. a, a great archer. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, I yes, attractiveness. Yeah. Um, and then there's, I suppose, sort of the the ease at which you can get things, so the availability of say the boxes right near together. Yep, yep. So those are kind of the two key metrics on which she'd evaluate things.
1: Yeah, and that's absolutely right. And those are two ideas which absolutely the sorry, excuse me, absolutely at the heart of strategy risk and attractiveness well yes and they they all they're different words so let me describe it in a very general way and then we'll get more specific because because it will differ exactly whether uh, how you think about it whether you're a charity or a business or whatever but basically one idea is to say there are some things which as you say are attractive which are inherently valuable so for her it's the bow um and actually everybody wants those um so for at, at the moment probably be really good to be in the vaccine market we're in the middle of mm. um the uh, covid crisis and you know i'm sure there's a lot of growth there's a lot of opportunity and uh, you know there's some money to be made that would be a good market to be in and pharma has generally been a good industry to be in um and there's some also some pretty unattractive places to be um like the high street being a retailer or something like that um and so that's one way to look at it that katniss in our hunger games example would much rather get the bow than just a package near to her but the other thing is what's your chance of succeeding which you've mentioned as risk and that is one way of thinking about it's just what's the chance of success so the problem with the bow is not a high chance of success in fact a high chance Mm. of very negative success in that she dies okay. um, whereas if it's a package near to her quite a high chance of success and this is sort of the typical dilemma and strategy is how much do you go for things that are really attractive have a lot of value um, versus things that you're pretty guaranteed to be able to do successfully um, and you can think of this as a matrix as you said it's two dimensions or just two ideas that should guide your thoughts in choosing um, and you would ideally obviously like something which is really valuable and you've got a good chance of success so if you're a pharma company who's very strong in vaccines then that's pretty obviously somewhere you want to invest but not much good for a high street retailer who says yes that's an attractive opportunity but i've got no chance of success so clearly i'm not going to do it so that's that's the basic idea of how to evaluate uh any set of opportunities once you've segmented them
0: Obviously, it's the dream scenario is that everything's, if you've got that matrix, it's in the top right. So it's really attractive and easy to get into. Yeah. But I guess those opportunities are sort of few and far between because if something's really attractive, it's probably more competitive if we're talking
1: Mm. in a a sort of industry context. Is that? Yeah. I mean, most companies will have some of that. They'll be their core customers or their core products. Normally, though, they've, you know, exploited those to Mm. the point where it's hard to grow. Right, um, and uh, then then you're sort of forced to think of one of these other options. Um, perhaps there's some part of your business that's not as attractive, but you've kept going, and you could build in that, or you could t- risk it to go into something attractive, but you haven't yet got good at, and you you try and invest to get to learn.
0: Okay, so I'm I'm interested in particular in the situations where you've got things that are. I guess comparing the bow and arrow versus the books is near to her, how yeah. she actually makes that decision. But can we unpick kind of un- attractiveness
1: and yeah. risk first? Absolutely. So, uh, so we've got these general ideas of attractiveness or value um, as being one dimension and your chance of success as the other. Now, attractiveness and value depends what kind of organisation you are. So, for example, for a charity, it might be that it's very close to your aim. So if you're a charity who, who um, wants to help people get clean water then for you, attractive opportunities are countries where people need clean water. You know, you're not going to go and focus on probably the UK where the water supply is pretty much OK. You're going to look for more developing countries. So there are attractive opportunities. And then whether you can be successful at them might be, well, you know, we've got great experience in these countries in Africa. So actually, those are our crown jewels that the market really needs us, if you like. Um, And we're good at delivering and we're good at fundraising. So a charity can use this, but they're not thinking in terms of profits. It's because it's aligned with their goals. Mm. For a business, let's let's stick with that because that's our sort of core focus. Okay. There are typically three dimensions of value. Size, something that's big is generally better. Growth, something that's growing is better than something that's shrinking. And the third is profitability, a profitable market. Like, in fact, pharmaceuticals tends to be pretty profitable. If you have a patent, you can charge mm. a reasonable price and make a good return. <laughs> Um, versus something like the airlines business, which is famous for for being very tight margin and always going out of business in slumps, as it is at the moment. Um, So size growth and and industry profitability or segment profitability are typical measures of business attractiveness. And then there's the question of what does it take to succeed? And over the last few decades, the key way of thinking about that has been do you have competitive advantage? So Mm -hmm. in competitive markets, then you have to have an advantage now if you think about things like crony capitalism or dysfunctional markets maybe there are other ways to succeed like having special access which you know might be a form of competitive advantage but anyway let's stick with that idea Mm -hmm. So we tend to have a matrix that has the attractiveness of something, which is meant to represent the sort of like the financial value as determined by the growth, the size and the profitability of a market against whether you have competitive advantage in it. And that's a matrix which is actually called the GE or the McKinsey matrix, or I call it the strategy matrix, which is really helpful in positioning businesses or parts of business. So, you know, just to take it back to the car rental analogy, We could think about France. How big a market is it for car rental? Is it profitable? How much competition is there? Mm. What's the margins like? Is it regulated in some way that makes it more or less profitable? Um, And is it growing? And, you know, does Hertz have a good position or is there a couple of really big players who are well-established and we're coming from way behind? Um, Can we see a way that we could be successful?
0: Okay. And I, I... I'm actually just thinking of the the bakery example we used in the last yeah. session as so well. I guess you can look at your different products and say, yeah. "Okay, yeah. so uh, fancy pastries <clears throat> might be more profitable than what we're doing, and maybe yeah. we have an advantage over the local supermarket because it's we have that sort of artisan quality about our bakery." Yeah. So yeah, it de- definitely seems to have sort of general. Uh,
1: That's right. Anything which can be thought of as like a mini business, which Mm -hmm. is like, you know, different products in a bakery, almost like a mini business. You know, you can either choose to be in them or not. So you can view them as independent. You can position them on that matrix, just as you said.
0: Okay, so I want to unpick one thing about this, this model. It's clearly not a quantitative model that's designed to spit out a Mm -hmm. yes or no answer. Mm -hmm. So let's take two extreme cases. In one case... You've got a really attractive market, mm. but you've got very poor competitive positioning. And in the other case, you've got another market where you have a really strong competitive positioning, but it's just not very attractive. Yeah. It's tiny and it's shrinking. How do you pit those two extreme cases against each other? How do you decide which you should go for?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, that is quite a complicated question because there may be lots of things you could do with each individual mm. business, but absolutely, that's a, you know, nevertheless a, a kind of good good question about how you know what should be the mix in your portfolio and actually the first thing I'd say is it's not really that you have to do one or the other you just need to do different things with each so what you need to do is if you've got a weak position in an attractive mark you basically got two options you either grow it to being strong uh, if you can't find a way to do that or it's too risky you just don't think you can achieve it uh, you probably just sell it off because it's going to be quite attractive to somebody else it's in an attractive market you can get a good price for it. Um on the other hand, if you have some strong positions in not so attractive markets, you're going to do one of two things again. Either you're going to make sure that you remain strong, thinking that the top players in a even a tough business will make good margins. It's only the bottom players who will really struggle. And that you know you'll make positive cash flows, you probably won't want to grow it that much, it'll be throwing off a lot of cash and making reasonable returns. If the market's so bad that everybody's losing money, well, first of all, that's quite rare because normally people exit, but it can happen. You may then want to close down or sell out, but 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 you're really trying to use it for what people call the cash cow. So they're really quite different rules depending which of those two categories you're in. And If you can do a good job and be the best owner and not invest any money and destroy value, then you can keep both. Um, There's no reason why not. They can be judged on their individual merits, but they just have to be looked at through different lenses.
0: Right. I see. So there's no clear way of sort of evaluating those things against each other. They have to be case by case.
1: Not against each other. There is an issue around once you've got a bunch of businesses in different categories, which which are you the best owner for, which is the question of corporate strategy. But I think that's a topic in itself and, in mm. fact, worth a few episodes of a different podcast. So we might come to that in a, a future podcast series if we get there.
0: Okay. Well, with, with that caveat, I want to pick your brain on one other thing. We talked last week a lot about creativity and the potential yeah. for segmentation and that practice to get you to be creative and almost force you to be creative. Yeah. And we talked about Zipcar as well and how they came along and completely disrupted the value chain. Yeah. I'm struggling to see how you get from this kind of very simple but powerful matrix to these more disruptive, innovative ideas. Yeah.
1: No, I think that's fair. And I don't think this tool really is one that I would use for that. I think what it's good for doing is evaluating a current portfolio. And then if you have done a creativity session, come back. To me and say, look, I've got this really exciting idea. Then I can say, okay, tell me, is it in a in an attractive market? Mm. Tell me about the market. Is it large, growing, and intrinsically profitable? And could we have competitive advantage? For example, my very first job at BCG actually was looking at laser printers, which were being made by Agfa, which is a was a photographic company that made film, and they'd actually made a laser printer. This was in Belgium, where they were based, um, and they they're up against people like Canon. And one of the things we did was say, well, that is a great idea, but would you actually have a competitive advantage? Mm. And it turned out that because of the volumes that Canon was doing at the time versus Agfa, it would take a huge investment and massive scaling up to really get to the volume to be able to have the cost position to compete effectively. So it's a way of challenging and checking which ideas are good and which not, which is good, but it's probably not a creativity tool. Yeah. Okay. So perhaps we should wrap up on this one um, a couple of points I'd like to make one is this matrix comes in various forms um, and sizes For example, one of the early versions was something called the Boston Consulting Group Matrix which actually didn't have attractiveness against advantage it actually had growth as attractiveness against scale or market share sorry market share for competitive advantage but that's because it assumed that market share, equaled competitive advantage ah, right, so. and growth was the main measure of attractiveness because growth would would drive size in the long run and there was sort of a belief that all markets were equally profitable mm. so long as you had competitive advantage and that wasn't a big issue so that's a very famous matrix. And I just wanted to say, actually, the McKinsey matrix was a response to that. And in fact, the McKinsey matrix has probably lasted the test of time. And the Katniss-Everdine
0: matrix is more sophisticated than that.
1: Well, yes, that's invented <laughs> by me, <laughs> so obviously. Um, so there are different forms, and, and that's one particular one. And the other is just taking it back to our framework. Um, you have to actually really understand the external environment and the internal situation and maybe if you want to look at the future where these businesses will be in the future how things will evolve so why have i put this in now well it's because that's a really good matrix or framework for bringing everything together after you've gone through all the steps mm. that you need to do to analyze the external the internal and how things will evolve so i'm kind of saying that's that's where we want to get to but how do we actually analyze the french market you know, how do we evaluate its attractiveness? And that's what we're going to get into next week. Perfect.
0: Well, let's wrap it up there then. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. See you again next week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please, please remember to rate us as it really helps us out. And also check out our Facebook page or website at www.developingstrategy.com where you can ask questions, learn more, and find all the episodes in this series.